You're listening to the AfterBuzz TV Network. Now the largest new media platform on the web and your number one source for after-show entertainment. Very good, from the AfterBuzz studios in Los Angeles, California, and streaming live on Ustream, this is AfterBuzz TV for Desperate Housewives. We'll break down tonight's episode and get you all the latest Desperate Housewives news and gossip. If you'd like to buzz in on tonight's show, you can buzz us at 424-256-1729. That's 424 424- Two five six seventeen twenty nine, and now picking up where the show leaves off, and the buzz continues. It's AfterBuzz TV for Desperate Housewives. Hey everybody, how you doing? I'm Derek Shore. Thanks so much for tuning in. I'm alone in the studio tonight, although we do have the lovely Foxy Roxy Stryer on the line. Roxy, how are you? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm good. You know, I it was so weird for me to watch the show this week alone without you. But uh, before the show started tonight, you were telling me that you were actually fine. You had some popcorn there cuddled up in your bed and you didn't miss me at all. Okay. It came out the wrong way. Well, I really missed you. And you know what? <laughs> what I didn't tell you was I actually cried the entire time. You're kidding. I crying. Missing you. Oh, please, please. You know what? I laughed most of this episode, and I realized when I watch this show by myself, it is such a guilty pleasure, and I find myself hitting pause and instant replay so often, and tonight was one of those episodes where I caught myself doing that. Was it just well, me, or were you doing that awkward. too? It's like laughing out loud and, and doing things by yourself is always more awkward. So when we're together, I feel like I'll say, oh, let's rewind that. And then we're doing it as a team. But when I'm by myself, sitting in my room doing that, um, I think it's a little weird. You know what? <laughs> I say go for it because that is what tonight's episode, I thought, was really solid. There were those laugh out loud moments for me. And it was a great reminder of why I started watching the show in the first place. Absolutely. We had a, an actual bunch of quotes this episode that I thought were pretty funny. Oh, oh you, really- wrote, you wrote some down, too, because I have a whole list of quotes that I think are priceless. Yeah, I wrote some down, too. And it, was, it was a big night for watching our girls, the girls that we love, these women that we love, uh, be their true selves and not hiding behind any doors and whatever it is, just very much so in character. Well, let's jump right into it, because when this episode starts, we see Lynette, who, as we know, Tom has been off in Paris with his girlfriend, Jane. They, I think they're probably back from Paris by now. Either that or it's a very long vacation. But we're seeing Lynette back into the dating world. We saw this in the last episode a few weeks ago, the last time the show aired. And what I was surprised to see was the fact that this episode started with the same guy, Lynette had that horrible date with. Remember him? I know. His name's Frank, and I do remember him. And my guilty confession is that I really like him. Uh, he's kind of a cutie, isn't he? 
I really like him. But, you know, I, I never, I, I thought we would never see him again because their first date they went on, they essentially got together and complained about their exes the whole time. And Lynette sort of embodied or seemed to embody all of the things that he was talking about, hating about his ex-wife. I know. And why, why is Desperate Housewives doing this to us? I mean, I thought we got rid of him and I thought that he wasn't a good match for Lynette. But now he comes back and I don't want him to be gone. And I do think he's a good match and I'm feeling very conflicted and I don't like this. I'm kind of flipping out you. You know, don't flip out. I, I think he seems to be a very nice guy. And, and as as we got to know him more as the episode played out, we got confirmation that he is indeed a nice guy. I'm not so sure about that uh, dark leather necklace he seems to wear a lot with the little metal uh, pendant. It seems kind of like a choker. Not sure if oh, that's come the best. on. He's a hairdresser. Let him have fashion. Well, exactly. But aren't hairdressers supposed to be a little more fashionable than that? Anyway, whatever. Lynette's happy. When the episode starts and they're at the restaurant and she says, hey, let's get out of here. Why don't we go to my place for dessert? I was thinking the same thing that the guy was thinking, the same thing Frank was thinking, that they're going to go and home that's and hilarious. hook up. That is so funny because, of course, as the woman, I was thinking they were going to eat dessert. Oh, come on. Seriously? <laughs> I swear to gosh, like, if I ever asked a guy that to my place for dessert, I mean dessert. Okay, well, warning, Roxy, when you tell a guy, hey, let's get out of here, let's get out of here, that's the line, like, hey, let's have some quiet time together, if you know what I'm saying. Why does it have to be like that, that if you go back to somebody's place, you need to have sex? Like, why can't you go back to someone's place for a drink, for dessert, for a conversation, whatever it is? Why I'm, is it... It, it doesn't have to be that. And and I, in fact, think that the second date is a little too quick, especially someone like Lynette. I was thinking, wow, Lynette is usually not like this, but she's saying, let's get out of here. I, I guess maybe it was the exact wording she used that implied that they were going to hook up. It wasn't like, hey, I just made these great cookies. Why don't you come over and meet my children? It was, hey, let's get out of here. That's all. And how funny was it when she pulled out the actual dessert and there these fun pack pudding kids desserts? Yeah, I'm hoping that Roxy, when you got, invite a guy over to your house for dessert, you have more than pudding pudding fun packs. I mean, I don't think I would usually say dessert, but I would say, "Do you want to go grab a drink at my place?" But now I wouldn't even say that. I'm nervous. Well, in true Lynette fashion, Lynette was nervous, too. Like you, she sort of panicked once she realized that Frank had a different idea about why he was there. And I love that everything just fell apart from that point on. Their goodbye was so awkward. He went to kiss her and kind of bashed, bashed her in the eye and the forehead. I mean, And this is where one of my favorite quotes came out of the episode. It's so simple, but Lynette saying, I was a total horror in college. <laughs> yeah. Unbelievable. I, he, he's looking awkwardly at her, and she's, she's very um, frantically talking, and she says, no, not that I don't want to ever have sex with you. Oh, my God, I, I would have sex with you. I mean, I was a total horror in college. <laughs> I just thought, this is that's a good pickup line. And so classic Lynette that it would come out wrong like that. I loved it. I thought that was such a perfect moment. And also a reminder that she and Lynette and Renee were best friends since college, right? Yeah, exactly. So, not so surprised. Maybe the whore comment really, really was true. And that Renee was seeing Tom while Lynette was dating in college. 
You never know what Lynette was doing. Oh, that's right. Good memory. See, these storylines, they twist and turn. Uh, by the way, Roxy, I wanted to let you know, we've got a viewer named, or a listener, I don't know if he's watching or listening, his name is Majid, and he writes to me from Qatar, or as I believe the locals pronounce it, Qatar, over in the Middle East, and he pays attention to the show and listens to it every week, so I think we should give him a nice shout-out. Oh, what a great shout-out that is. I'm so excited. I love hearing that we have listeners in other places. And I just hope I don't make too big of an idiot of myself. You know what? We make idiots of ourselves and each other every single week. But hopefully that's why people are tuning in. Right, Roxy? I mean, that's what I'm crossing my fingers for. Otherwise, we'd have no viewers left. <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't think you're an idiot at all. But I totally agree with what Roxy said. We love having listeners and viewers from around the world. And it means a lot when you guys send in questions or send in comments or you disagree with what we say, because certainly we think that makes for a healthy, lively conversation about these shows. Absolutely. Well, the, the the funny thing about Lynette's meltdown with Frank and panicking about potentially hooking up on the second date, which did not happen, is that we see soon after that Susan and Lynette are hanging out with uh, Gabby. <laughs> and essentially, Lynette is saying, oh, my gosh, guys, I really screwed this up. It was the second date, and he wanted to hook up, and I don't know how to be single, and I don't know how to date, and it's scary. And, of course, Gabby was the one saying, what's your problem? Why didn't you hook up with him? You're single. You should have fun. You wouldn't buy a car without test driving it. Ride him. Drive that guy. Drive him hard. <laughs> I just thought, oh, oh my baby. gosh, Gabby. Typical Gabby, right? Very typical Gabby. But at the same time, I don't know. I mean, they went on two dates. For me, it was a little fast, too. But I wasn't disagreeing with the advice that Gabby was giving um, her because, you know what? Yeah, it is very typical Gabby. But Lynette needs to jump right back to the game and figure out if it's too fast for her and figure out what she's looking for. And if she likes this guy... And that's fine. You know what? More power to her. Yeah, but, you know, I thought Susan had some really great advice uh, as well. And I think I agreed with Susan a little more because she was saying, yes, of course, you should eventually start dating and hooking up with guys. But maybe wait a little while. There's no reason to jump right into it. And I think, you know, there was this time last summer, I know I've talked about this on the show. I had been in this relationship for a few years. We broke up things. It was so weird for me being single. I realized I didn't know how to date. I wasn't accustomed to asking guys out or going to dinner and making small talk or figuring things out. How soon is too soon to do this or that? And I can totally identify with Lynette in this situation because going up, going out and hooking up with someone on the second date or just sort of randomly doesn't, you know, people always say, oh, you're single, you should go and have fun. But I think for someone like me or like Lynette, who's a little more calculated in decisions that they make, I think sometimes rushing into a decision about being intimate with someone just makes for a little more loneliness. I agree with that. I do agree. And I thought it also strange was we haven't even really seen them kiss yet. You know, it's like usually there are steps. You know, we'll see the first kiss and the first really big makeout session. Maybe there will be another step in between, then the night of sex. But this was like all or nothing. You're either going to screw them or you're not going to ever see them again. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, you're right. That is how it's framed. I mean, I guess in the land of television, we don't uh, we only see little snippets of it. But it, it, as you and I have discussed, Roxy, many times, it seems like these storylines move lightning speed. And of course, fast forward to the episode uh, ending, and we do see that this guy has come around after a third date. He comes around a fourth time, and it turns out that the third date, the sex just did not work out have you ever been in that situation roxy where you felt like everything needed to be to be perfect and the towels needed to be clean and the room needed to be organized and all of the things that lynette was panicking about you know it's a lot of pressure i feel like it's like relosing your virginity and honestly i understand and the candles needed to be placed and this light needed to be coming from this angle and i and i understand what she was saying and i think more so i've had a lot of friends go through that situation but I really try to avoid that because everybody knows if your expectations are too high, the event's going to be even lower than it should be. You know, it's like... Absolutely. There's one thing for something being special. And yeah, you can try to make something special, but you should never try to make something monumental like that. See, but that's why I think these holidays like Valentine's Day, which is tomorrow, they have a tendency to put all this pressure. I loved all the Valentine's references in this episode. But just like you said, Roxy, when when there's this enormous expectation that there need to be fireworks and magical things, you're just setting yourself up for a letdown. Which is why, ask me where I will be on Valentine's Day. Why, where are you going to be on Valentine's Day? Have after us. <laughs> Seriously? Absolutely. Do you, want, want do you want me to come hang out with you at After Buzz on Valentine's Day? Oh, yes. I would love nothing more. I will be there all night. <laughs> you know what? I don't even know what my Valentine's Day plans are. I have, for the first Valentine's Day that I can remember in years, I actually have a really great guy I'm dating. We're having a ton of fun, and we haven't really officially made plans. I think because we want to avoid this pressure, but I hope we do something fun tomorrow. I, I'm sending him flowers at work. I'm, I'm sure he's not listening to this now, so I'm not spoiling the surprise. Sending him flowers, but tomorrow night I don't know. Maybe we'll just catch a movie or something low key. That's what it should be like. It should be something that you guys enjoy doing together. And, and whatever that is, keep it G rated for the show. But yeah, you baking just do chocolate chip cookies. <laughs> Wait, so I hear actually, though, as a little after about exclusive, yeah. that we might be meeting this fellow. He might be coming in. Because he might be hosting a show with us or listening or something. Is this Lynette's boyfriend, Bree? I mean, Lynette's boyfriend, Frank? <laughs> no, your boyfriend. Oh, my boyfriend. <laughs> oh, yes. So, you know, I hope you get to meet him. You'll definitely get to meet him at some point. He would be great as a guest on the show because he watches Housewives once in a while. And I've said, Matt, you should come in and do the show with us. Roxy is so much fun and he absolutely will have none of it. But I bet we could twist his arm and get him in. You should ask him for that as a Valentine's Day present. Yeah, that's exactly what I did. I said the only thing I want is for you to come and co-host an episode of the of the Desperate Housewives. And by the way, the reason we're we're airing and uh, taping the show a little bit later is because we were in Palm Springs. We rode 105 miles on our bikes this weekend for a, a big charity ride, and the freeway was closed down yesterday. 
It was totally closed down. You can read the news That's reports about it. That's what you get it. for trying to do something good. That's what you get for doing charity. You get traffic. Right. You know? I, I get to sit on the 10 freeway for five hours when it should have been two. So that's why we're taping the show late. And thanks to to all of our listeners for, for understanding. So can we talk about Gabby and and poor little Juanita? You know, I, I swear, Gabby's advice to Lynette, take take him out for a test drive, blah, blah, blah. Gabby all the time says this stuff without even thinking. And I swear, it's hilarious to watch on TV. Poor little Juanita. It's a good thing she's smart, her character, because that could be one messed up little kid. Okay, but at the same time, I do agree, poor Juanita, but at the same time, I'm very proud of Gabby all the time. She she learns lessons from her children, and she tries to be the best mother that she could possibly be. I mean, there are so many other ways that she could be acting towards her kids, and I think she really, really does love both of her kids. And it's just so sad because she's not she was she's not built to be the perfect mom. No, no, it's not at all. Way harder than it's for somebody like Susan. Right. We right. actually see had trouble being mom this episode too. But I'm just saying, I don't know. I mean, yes, thank God Juanita is smart. And this just made me realize, like, how many times do people spell things around their children or or pretend that their kids don't know something about rehab or an affair or something? It's like kids are freaking smart. Totally. Kids are smart. I mean, you're not born an idiot. Yeah. You know? Right. I, I don't know. I just think it's important to realize that. Well, how old do we think that Juanita is? Well, let's see. Is Juanita ten now or nine? Yeah, she's. I mean, she's old enough to understand. She's old enough to know what it means to drink. To know that her dad's not in Europe. Like she's she's not an idiot to hear people talking about it in the classroom. Whatever it is, however she found out, we don't know. It's clear to me that she's smart, you know. Yeah, absolutely, and I—that's ex- my my thoughts exactly. When when Gabby was trying to pull this prank on Juanita, I was thinking, you know, kids are smart. They, we got to give them more credit. But in in the beginning, Juanita totally bought this whole thing. When Gabby jumped up off the couch and said, "Oh, uh, uh, the boy you like, Ryan, didn't give you a Valentine." Um, hold on, and she runs into the kitchen and writes out XOXO on a Valentine in. A, in chocolate, I'm thinking, Gabby, come on, Juanita is not stupid enough to buy this. And then the way she just casually threw it down on the floor there, it's, I think you're right about Gabby. She always comes around and does the right thing in the end, but it, it's it's almost like in the moment she thinks, she doesn't think fast enough, and so she does these, she does these things like lying to, lying to Juanita about the Valentine. Without That's thinking. exactly what it is. I mean, she's a good enough person to know what the right thing is, but she's not a quick enough person to know when to have the right thing come to her. That exactly. And, and she always comes around and tells the truth. I was really impressed that she leveled with Juanita by the end of this episode. An interesting, Roxy, that you would bring up Susan, because did you notice these parallel storylines between Gabby's interaction with her daughter, Juanita, and Susan's interaction with her daughter, Julie, who, of course, has grown much older. And both mothers blatantly lie in this episode. But from their perspective, it's in an effort to protect their daughters. Yeah, it, it, it was exactly that. And it was also, and even though um, Julie and Juanita are completely different ages, it was also their mom trying to, thinking their kid was younger than they were. 
thinking their kid wasn't able to make a decision that they actually can at their age. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and Julie is obviously old enough to make those decisions by herself. We haven't seen her character really at all in a long time. And I was surprised to see her show up six months pregnant and... She always seemed like she had a pretty good relationship with her mom, right? So the fact that she kept this pregnancy from her mom, Susan, was a bit of a surprise to me. I cannot believe that there was no dialogue about that. That it wasn't an on-air conversation right. at all about how could you have been pregnant for six months and not told me. Yeah, because that's really indicative of the type of relationship a mother has with her daughter if something this big is hidden for such a long time. Right. I It's beyond me. I mean, that was a major flaw in this episode for me. Overall, by the way, I did think this was a very entertaining episode. I thought it was great. But sometimes, you know, I have a problem with Desperate Housewives. When they do this to me where it's like, you really missed this one. You really missed it. And I understood that that wasn't the main focus. Really, they were just trying to talk about who has the right to make this decision, and being a single parent and make larger issues. But I, I think it completely, it was so unrealistic that Susan wouldn't have even said for a single second, and you didn't call me, you didn't tell me, nothing. Yeah. Yeah, sort of like, hey, this is a big bummer. Well, she did say something about when Julie said, I'm six months pregnant, I'm giving the baby up for adoption. I'm back here in Fairview because tomorrow night I'm meeting with two parents who are going to be receiving the baby, and they want to meet you. And Susan said, oh, wow, now I get it. That's the reason why you're calling me, because you want me to be there when you need me. I I, I think that was a moment where it became apparent that clearly their relationship was not so close, and Susan was aware of that, too. Yeah, I do agree with that. I think that that moment was, okay, but it, it just didn't answer the questions that I had. I don't know. I think they could have done it way more clear. Well, can we talk about some of my favorite moments from this episode, which included Susan's lines during this dinner with the adoptive parents? I, this was some of the funniest stuff I've heard on Desperate Housewives in a long time. When this scene opens at the table and they're all sitting there, Susan, Julie, the adoptive parents, they're enjoying this nice dinner and they're saying, wow, Susan, you're such a supportive mom. And Susan says, well, I can't imagine a better couple to have this baby. I'm thinking, wow. Okay, Susan either changed her mind really quickly or she's flat out, lying to this couple because that does not it, it just didn't seem to jive with me oh i knew something was up her sleeve immediately <laughs> so so then she says julie would you mind getting up to grab dessert and that is when we see susan spring into action do you want to do you want to tell us what happened from there roxy well, basically, we see Susan tell how Julie is clinically insane, and uh, she uses a knife when she gets angry, and medication uh, sometimes. And she's and like, blah, and, and blah, finally, blah, finally Dr. Story. Cohen balanced her medication just right. Why else do you think I let her use a knife at the table? Yeah, I mean, it, it was very humorous. 
I enjoyed the scene, but really, again, it's kind of like over the top, hitting you on the head with the humor. Um, nothing subtle about about this scene. No, that's the way it's supposed to be, Roxy. This show is ridiculous, and when it comes to these lines, the the my favorite line of the entire episode was at this dinner table when Susan was talking about Julie's mental illness, and she said, she says. Grandma used to say our family tree grew nothing but bananas. <laughs> I just thought I that was hilarious. It was very funny, and maybe I'm just being a freaking downer right now, but sometimes, you know, I love those moments in Desperate Housewives, the close-ups on individual people where you actually see real moments in life. And that's why I love this show. And, the, and yes, this was, of course, I'm giving them dramatic license, and it was funny, and I was laughing, yes, but... I don't know. I just think that they were kind of making light of a very serious situation, and it never got fully resolved for me. No, uh, no, I but mean, it, it will get fully resolved, though. You mean, you mean it's it's not you don't feel comfortable with where Julie and Susan's relationship now stands? How do you? Feel? Yeah, exactly. And I wanted to see maybe at the end of the episode, maybe Susan call these parents and invite them back over and say I made a big mistake. Something like that, you yeah. know? It was a bit odd, I agree, to come back from commercial break and have these dinner guests gone and have Julie mad and have Susan apologize. It's sort of like, well, what happened? How did this all exactly. come Exactly, I head? feel like we missed the big blow-up scene. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, but... I think that the storyline, of course, in these next few episodes, we're going to find out. There was so much foreshadowing on both sides. Julie said she's made this decision. She's giving up the baby. And Susan is still remaining hopeful. So I'll be curious to see to see where it goes. But I loved that in classic Susan fashion, she completely lied to these people and sold out Julie. Made Julie look like a crazy person in order to protect her. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. It was funny. I'll give you that. I, I, I also was a bit unsettled by the interaction with Julie and Susan after this because this is another thing that uh, that I've talked about on the show and I totally relate to being raised by a single mom. My biological father was a total douche and from from 4 years old it was my mom, my two sisters and me. And it was hard. Life was really really hard and there were definitely some fun moments uh but clearly uh, you know kids are raised in all kinds of families and I don't think it's fair to ever say, "Oh, you're doomed if you ha- if you're raised by a single parent. Clearly, things people are raised by single parents all the time. It's no problem. I think it's difficult to raise children in general. But what irritates me is when I hear some of my friends or acquaintances, or in this case, in in this episode of Desperate Housewives, hearing Julie just go off on her mom about all of these horrible. Things I remember driving by and seeing if dad had a, a mistress with him or doing this or doing that. I think kids certainly can harbor a lot of anger toward their parents, but single parent or not, I swear, parents, for the most part, just do the best they can, you know? And I was yeah. so glad to see Julie finally come around to that uh, because I didn't appreciate that moment of rage where she blamed all of her problems on her mom, Susan, and said, I already raised a child. It was you. I thought that was kind of a nasty thing to say. Well, I had really mixed up feelings on this because I was glad that she said something. I didn't want her to not explain to her mom at all what she was feeling. And it was really interesting to look at how 
two people can look at a situation differently and right. see the past differently. Right. I think that happens a lot. But at the same time, she wasn't giving her mom any credit, and I thought that that was so immature that it completely weakened her argument. Yeah, true. And and Susan's statement, if if you step back and look at it, it, it did sort of sugarcoat this whole growing up thing where they were cuddling in bed together and staying up late and eating cereal for dinner and all of that. Clearly, Susan has a different memory of this and is focusing on the positive memories that she has of being a single mom. But I see what you're saying. We can't look at this uh, in rose-colored glasses too much, I think, or it just becomes unrealistic. I mean, you know, bringing exactly. up a child is hard. Can we talk uh, uh, for a minute again back to to Gabby and Juanita, back to parenting styles? And I know we had mentioned that Eva Longoria's character, Gabby, seems to always come around and do the right thing and be honest with her daughter, but... The scene where she's reading Juanita's Valentine's and she's saying, Juanita, what's wrong? Why? This was before the lie even took place, before Gabby wrote out the Valentine, the fake Valentine from this boy, Ryan. And she read that Valentine from that boy, Jacob, and it said, Dear Juanita, my parents made me write this. You smell like ham. That is not a very nice Valentine, is it? I know no, it's horrible, but I just that, busted that, that up. Is, yeah. Wait, say that again. We had a bit of a uh, phone garble in there. <laughs> Gabby responds to that saying, but you love ham. <laughs> exactly. But you love ham, honey. Meaning it's okay if you smell like ham. Poor Juanita. I mean, what a great acting role for this, for this actor. But geez, there are a lot of jokes like that. You smell like ham. Man, the poor thing. And and that's I know, this, I know. But the scene on the playground where she's totally bigger than this little kid, Ryan, she has the crush on and she pushes him down to the ground, forcibly kisses him, and then we hear after the fact that that poor kid cried for 20 minutes. Oof, it is tough to be a kid, isn't it? It is tough to be a kid. It's it's even tougher to be uh I don't want to be mean, but a, a chubby child. Yeah. Uh, who is probably, I don't know, I just think that she's probably insecure as it is looking at other kids and knowing that the actress is you know, a kid, that could probably feel very close. Yeah, she might, but hopefully she, she is surrounded by supportive people who let her know that being different is, is a good thing. It's to be celebrated. And, Wait, say that one more time, babe. You broke up a bit. And knowing that it's helpful, she Wow, it sounds like you're um, sending a like a telegraph. It's it's very it's very staccato. It's so different not having you here in the studio, Roxy. I like it better when you're right next to me. I know. I'm. Sorry. No, that's okay. We can we can hear you. You're a bit spotty, um, but sometimes you're a bit spotty in the studio, even when you're right in front of me. So we're used to it. Don't worry. Ouch. <laughs> I'm totally teasing. So the the woman we have not spoken about yet. I can't believe she hasn't come up yet. Bree. Bree's character. Oh my gosh, she is spinning out of control. And not only is she spinning out of control, but when she needs it most. Her friends seem to have totally abandoned her, except for Renee. Uh, but Susan, Gabby, and Lynette 
seem to have deserted her. Okay, but I'm having a problem with this storyline. Okay, go for it. Here's what it is. What? I feel like instead of her having issues and then alcohol adding to that, I feel like her issue is alcohol and then other things are adding to that. And I don't like that. I think it should always be that she is trying to heal a wound with this alcohol, not that alcoholism is the wound and now she's acting out. But you know wait, what I mean? But wait a minute, though. Isn't her alcoholism, at least in this season, isn't it a direct result of the fact that she, not orchestrated, but she really sort of, if, if anyone orchestrated this uh, this burying of Gabby's stepfather in the woods, we could point that finger at Bree, right? And didn't once all of that happened, isn't that when we started seeing Bree drink again? Not really, not in my opinion. We see Bree start drinking once she lied to her friends about the note, and then she starts drinking when they don't want to be her friend anymore. See, but but I think that's the direct result of the trauma, the, the personal trauma that she's experienced from feeling like she committed this horrible crime. She covered up a murder, which was, even though it was self-defense, it was still a homicide. And then they buried this body in the woods. I mean, I take her alcoholism as a result of that and also feeling like she was totally abandoned by her best girlfriends. Okay, I guess, I, I'm not crazy what I'm trying to say correctly. I guess what I'm trying to say is, when they have this intervention, the girls are like, you're drinking again, and that's the main focus. When the focus should be, you're hurting, let's fix that, and then hopefully she'll stop drinking. But I think the fact that she's going home with all these random dudes is a symptom of that. So we're we're maybe not seeing it's like a light bulb. You may not see the light you may not see the filament or the bulb itself, but you can see the light shining on the wall. You can see the result of what that light is creating. Isn't that a great analogy? That was really good. That's I'm sorry. Yeah. That's a really good analogy. So in your case, I don't think you're staring directly at Bree's light bulb. You're looking at the light that's reflected on the wall, and that light reflecting on the wall is Bree picking up a bottle of wine and pouring herself a third and fourth fourth glass. I guess that's true. I just feel like they are making the light bulb the bottle. I get you. I get what you're saying. I love that we can disagree and still be friends. Oh, isn't it a good feeling, Roxy? <laughs> God, who said we were friends anymore? Gosh, this Ooh. might be the end of our relationship. Thanks, Lynette. I mean, Roxy. <laughs> you know, that's similar to the line that Lynette delivered at the beginning of this episode when they're all sitting on the porch and they see that unshaven dude coming out of Bree's front door and Lynette essentially said, she's not our problem anymore. Wow, Lynette, that was not a nice thing to say. Yeah, not at all. But it's uh, it, it, this. I'm glad that by the by the end of this episode, things with the women started to get smoothed over, and we'll get to that in a minute. But in the meantime, let's talk a little bit about some of the characters that Brie has been bringing home. Clearly, her life is spiraling out of control because Brie, who is always very straight-laced, she's very methodical, she's very meticulous, not only in her actions but in her own appearance, we never would have seen Brie dating guys like the ones she's dating in this episode. And it's freaky. She doesn't seem like the type of woman who would be going to a bar to pick up 
random dudes in the middle of the night. It's true. It's very true. And as we've touched upon before, these women are forever growing and changing. Yeah, it makes me sad, though, because I think, I mean, she's she's clearly aware of the fact that in the scene where she's sitting at the bar and she strikes up conversation with the guy and she says, hey, can I buy you a drink? What's your poison? I really shouldn't try to do impressions because clearly she doesn't sound anything like that. She, she says, what's your poison? Can I buy you a drink? What's your name? What do you do? And he says, it's Jerry. And I do the same thing I did two nights ago. And that's her her aha moment of, oh my gosh, I took this guy home two nights ago and I didn't even realize it. Yeah, I mean, that, it's very true. And just on the side note of impressions, anytime I try to do Brie, I put on a British accent. So <laughs> I totally feel you on that. <laughs> yeah, I, my friends and family always make fun of me when I try to do impressions because they sound... When I, when I do an impression of my mom, she has a Minnesotan accent. And I don't think she's ever even been to Minnesota. She lives in Utah, so um, I don't know how that happened. Oh, cr- <laughs> uh, so anyway, this um, clearly her character is crying out for help, and she certainly can't talk to her friends about it because they don't have friends, and it's not or because she doesn't have friends. The, the friends aren't; they've given up on her, and it's not until we see Renee pay a visit to Lynette. Lynette, on her third date, as we discussed, finally has sex with this guy, Frank, but in the middle, she bursts into tears. She bursts out crying. And then she calls Renee to console her, and, and, and uh, Renee comes over and they talk. And it's not until that point we discover Renee took Brie out drinking. Renee is partially responsible for the fact that Brie is out at these bars meeting these guys because Renee is the one who initially took Brie into those scenarios, into those situations, she never would have otherwise uh, found herself in. Herself in. Right, and I thought that was a very clever way for the writers to have the girl figure that out. Um, I was glad that it was subtle and very realistic, you know, Renee being Renee and, and them picking up on that, as opposed to seeing Brie one day with like a martini on her front porch. Exactly, right. Or stumbling down the street in the middle of the night in her robe with right. a bottle of Chardonnay that's, you know, dumping all over the place. Yeah, I thought so too. That was a very clever way to weave that in. And it wasn't, you know, you know, we keep seeing this mysterious set of hands on the steering wheel of the car. Who do you think that is? Because this episode answered a few things, but it didn't it didn't quite answer that for me. But do you have any theories well, on how that I might do be? Think you think it was Orson? I mean, I have a, this is a very ignorant question, but I mean, can Orson drive? Wait, go for that again? What was that? Can Orson drive? Oh, can Orson drive? Oh, well, I'm assuming he can. Yeah, even if he doesn't have use of his legs, there are, you know, people who are probably... Right. So, yeah, so I'm assuming he can drive. Sorry, I'm so ignorant. No, that's but, not... Yeah, I mean, I think it was him. Okay, so as a recap to the listeners out there, we've been seeing this mysterious set of hands and a steering wheel in past episodes, and as Brie is coming and going from these bars, it is clear that she is being watched by someone as she's going well, home with people. Well, also through all the letters she's gotten in her mailbox. 
Yeah, I mean, the, we still don't have an answer about who who might be sending those notes to her, even though the handwriting, as we learned many episodes ago, the handwriting is apparently the same handwriting as in the note to Mary Alice, right? I know what you did. It makes me sick. I'm going to tell. Right. Hmm. Interesting. Well, we'll probably have to wait a few more episodes uh, to figure out what that is. But in the meantime, we we see this surprise appearance by Orson. And that was such a creepy bar scene when when that guy approached Bree near the end and he said, I've got a thing for redheads. Do you want to see it? Ugh, so nasty. So gross. I th- I'm sure I audibly groaned. Um, that's actually a good pickup line that I think could be cute and fun if used appropriately, but he was creepy. You think that's a good pickup line? No, I mean, I just think it's funny. Like, I could see myself saying something like that in a harmless, like, funny kind of way. Not oh in a, my gosh. Roxy, he said it in a, in a creepy rapist kind of way, and clearly he intended to rape her because he physically attacked her in the parking lot. Right, he tried to throw her in the car. Right, whereas if, if I said it and I was wearing this cute plaid shirt and I walked up to you at a bar, well, I wouldn't say that to you at a bar because we're friends. And You're right, that's gross. Never mind. Um, this, this, <laughs> this was a moment of serious distress for me as a viewer because I was thinking, oh no, not only has Brie hit rock bottom, but if she gets raped in this episode, that is horrible. I mean, that's that's rock bottom for real. Were you thinking it was possible? Do I think it's possible that that could have happened? I mean, were you thinking of watching this episode, were you like, oh, because the whole time I was thinking, no, the person was part of the tape. Oh, no, I was thinking it it didn't even occur to me. I was so wrapped up in the moment that, no, I thought that this guy was, after physically attacking her, I thought he was going to force her into the car and something bad was going to happen. I did not expect to look up and see Orson sitting there in his leather gloves, in his wheelchair, just out of the blue. And Orson, with his taser, comes in and saves the day. Yeah, I was not expecting it to be Orson, but I thought somebody was going to save the day. Oh, see, you always have better uh, better foresight than I do because I did not I did not see that coming at all. I mean, I that's hope- not true at all. Sometimes I think of things that not not well. <laughs> That's true. Sometimes you are way off. Well, why don't we take a little commercial break, and when we come back, we can talk about uh, just some of our predictions, because it seems like some of these storylines have some obvious next steps that they might be taking. Obviously, it's Desperate Housewives, so who really knows? I think they purposely try to trick us sometimes, but uh, we're just about out of time, so let's take a quick commercial break. We'll be back, and then we'll wrap it up. After Buzz TV. Hi. I was once like you. A lazy, angry loner whose only joy was watching TV and surfing the net. And, like you, after I'd see one of my favorite TV shows, I'd be so excited and have so many questions that I'd actually have to talk to my douchebag co-workers about it at the water cooler. Then, I discovered AfterBuzzTV.com. AfterBuzzTV produces after-show webcasts and podcasts for TV series of all kinds, like post-game wrap-up shows for all your favorite TV shows. AfterBuzzTV hosts are industry insiders who break down episodes of shows, take calls from fans, and interview cast and crew from each series with over 60 different after-shows, from Boardwalk Empire to American Idol to Vampire Diaries to Real Housewives and more. 
Now, after a night of TV, I can ignore my stupid co-workers, who I hate, and go straight to my desk and watch or listen to all my favorite AfterBuzz TV after shows and have all the TV fan interaction I need. Thank you, AfterBuzz TV. AfterBuzz TV. What do you want to buzz about? Wow, the guy in that commercial is so bitter, isn't he? So bitter. Um, I don't think he's bitter. I just think he's very Bo Manilow out. <laughs> the um so that if you just heard that commercial it's actually a great reminder of of what after buzz is all about what we do here clearly we've got a bunch of different hosts and we're super fans of the shows that we watch you of course if you're listening to this we we have a feeling a hunch that you might also be super fans of the shows uh that we talk about but you can always call in during an episode when we're live on the air please call in 424-256-1729 we love to hear your thoughts about the show we love love to hear if you disagree with what you're saying clearly these are just our impressions of what we're seeing and hearing and be sure to tune in in a couple weeks we will be broadcasting live from the mondrian hotel in hollywood where there is a celebrity gifting suite where celebrities go to to meet with their their retailers there and handing out samples of products and celebrities kind of go on a little mini shopping spree but we're going to be broadcasting live from the mondrian hotel on the famous sunset strip in West Hollywood just days before the Oscar telecast that will take place that Sunday. But each After Buzz episode will be based on one of the movies that's nominated for an Oscar, and I will be hosting the show uh, that deals directly with the movie The Help. Last year, it was my favorite movie. Uh, My good friend Tate Taylor directed it. I've been friends with Tate for 10 years. Brunson Green produced it. I've known Tate or Brunson for a long time as well, and we're really excited to be there broadcasting from the Mondrian talking about this film. So in a couple weeks, keep an eye on our website and and listen to those podcasts because they they should be interesting. Good plug. Yeah, good plug. So, um, why don't we get into some predictions, and now, Roxy? You're after Buzz TV predictions. I'm curious to know, Roxy, what you think about the Susan Julie storyline because Mike swooped in and had a chat with Julie and said, "Listen, your mom did the best she could." And Julie said, I know, Mike. I know my mom did the best she could. And it seems like that little blow up was finally smoothed over. But she said, Julie said very strongly, Mom, this is a really hard decision. I've thought a lot about it. This is the most difficult thing I've ever had to to decide on. And I'm giving up the baby. The decision is done. So that's a pretty... That's a pretty final thing, but if you notice in the wrap-up of this episode, when they, they do the Mary Alice voiceover comes in and the music comes in and they, yes, blah, blah, blah. There I am doing more impressions. So bad. Susan, they specifically showed Susan's character and they said whatever, something, something about not losing hope. So Susan's not losing hope that this baby is, is uh, going to stay in the family. But what do you think? Because I just, I'm undecided here. Well, here's my thought process. What okay. we see that in our themes from next week is that the father reveals and that Susan has some sort of connection with his father and hates the father. Exactly. So I don't know how that's going to play into it, but okay. I have a feeling that this this argument isn't over. But I really hope, no matter what happens, that Julie gives up the kid, only because she doesn't want to. In my opinion. 
So so you cut out for a little bit. You said ultimately because she doesn't want You still there, Ross? Hello. Hello, I can hear you now. Ultimately she doesn't want what? Ultimately she doesn't want it. Yeah, so you think ultimately she doesn't want this baby, so she should be giving it up. And I do. she is the mother of this child, so, and of course, adoption is a very personal thing, and so who is anyone to say what a mother should or should not do, right? Right, and that's not me making a general statement about single moms, about uh, young pregnancy, nothing like that. It's me saying, if you are having a child that you don't want, you're going to resent that child. I get you. Yeah, and I think all of us know you're not making any general statements, so so don't stress about that. What do you think about uh, Lynette's relationship with Tom? Because for a long time, I was really keeping the candle burning and hoping that Tom was going to come back into the picture and they would work things out. Now, I'm just not so sure that that's where we're headed. I know, and I, I thought that we had insider information that they end up together, I'm, I'm kind of pissed that they bring on the character that I like and it makes me feel better about the breakup. And then they boot. I don't know. It's just seems good right now. Yeah. So you feel like they're they're giving Frank enough airtime in these storylines that that you're kind of starting to like him and you think as a viewer, other viewers are maybe developing this this relationship with him and wanting to see him in more episodes. Right. But that being. Then we're still in the early stages, and I can deal with him leaving next week. Yeah, I mean that's true. We we this was episode thirteen, so we've got about ten more in the in the eighth and final season. So a lot can happen in ten episodes, right? Right. Well, I really want to keep an eye on Bree and and to find out what happens with her relationship with Orson because something tells me he is back on the lane and he is back there to stay. But I guess we won't know uh, for the time being. But that's what keeps the show so exciting, right, Roxy? Of course. And next week we can be together and finally talking about it in Washington. I know. We'll be back back together at last. Next week, I actually have a fundraiser with Mark Cherry, so I think we're, we might be taping our episode late, but we'll figure it out. We'll be back on the air, guys. Thanks for sticking with us. Thanks for tuning in. And, Roxy, thanks for being on the phone with us. We've missed you. Well, thank you for going into the studio. You, you are a better person than I. <laughs> oh, save it. Uh, well, from all of us here at AfterBuzz, for Ronnie in the booth, thanks for being there tonight, Ronnie, and switching us up. Roxy on the phone. For me, I'm Derek Shore. All of yours who are tuning in, thanks again. And please don't hesitate to tweet at us or send us a note if you have any thoughts or comments about the show. And we'll see you next week. Thanks. From producers Kevin Undergaro and Phil Svitek, engineer DJ Jesse Janity, and the entire AfterBuzz TV staff, we would like to thank you for listening to the AfterBuzz TV network if you have questions or comments be sure to buzz us at info at afterbuzztv.com and you can find us on facebook or follow us on twitter by searching for afterbuzz tv buzz you later later the views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of afterbuzz tv or its owners or principals 